uh, one of the things that I love about going verse by verse is that you know where we're going next week, and you can go home and study for yourself exactly where we're going to be. And so I hope that you'll do that. I hope you'll take time and dive into the scriptures. I'm going to tell you today, we're going to be in James chapter number one, and then in just a moment, we're going to dive into verse number 26. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I planned, in fact, on my title of my message, it's James chapter number one, verses 26 and 27. But we're only going to make it through verse number 26 today, okay? And, and I told our, our Sunday school class, the reason that we're only going to make it through verse number, I said 27, verse number 26 today is because uh, we could have done both verses, but it have been a really long message. You guys would have had to miss lunch. And so I wanted, to, I thought of you, okay? And so we're just going to have the, the verse number 26 today. And so it might even be a little bit shorter message. Now that's always a lie, but uh, we'll, we'll pretend like it's the truth and uh, dive into the scriptures this morning and uh, see what the Lord has for us. And it might even be a little bit shorter. Than, uh, than what we normally have. But I'm looking forward to diving into these verses. The Lord's got some, some wonderful truths for us here, and uh, I hope that uh, you'll allow the Lord to speak to your heart uh, this morning as we dive into the Scriptures together. Before we do, let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into His Word together. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this opportunity that You give us to be able to open Your Word today. I thank You, Lord, for the privilege that it is. And God, I don't count it lightly. I don't take it for granted Lord, it's an honor. It's my privilege, Lord, to be able to do that. And I pray today that you'd help me to do it justly, to do it well, Lord, and to be able to clearly communicate what your word has to say. I pray, God, that what we look at, God, would be a challenge to each person that's here, Lord, that we would hear from you, Lord, not, not just from some person. Lord, you, you know they, these people, they don't need to hear from me, God. It's, it's not something that I have to say or necessarily a story that I might tell. But God, it's your word that needs to shine forth. And so God, today, I pray that's exactly what would happen. I pray that your word would, would be clear. And uh, Lord, that we would crystallize some things that maybe are, are confusing or, or maybe we have questions about. I pray, Lord, that that would be uh, clear today. And Lord, I pray that for each person that's here, God, that you would move in our midst and our hearts. And God, help us, Lord, to walk out of this place closer to you than we've ever been. And God, we'll praise you and give you all the honor and the glory for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look with me, if you would, at James chapter number 1, and we'll go ahead and we'll read together verses 26 and verse number 27. The Bible says this, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is, is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Last week we were walking with James through the verses, uh, verses 22 through 25, and, and James was telling these first century believers and us today that, that there are two different deceptions. Last week he talked about one, today we'll talk about another. And verses 22 through 25 he showed that, that we often deceive ourselves into believing that, that we're good enough just listening to God's word, but not actually acting upon it. The Bible says it this way, to be a hearer of the word, uh, but not to be a doer of it. A Christian, that is, with, with no follow through. I don't know about you, but one of the most frustrating things in the world that we have today is, is seeing uh, people, knowing people that just you just know 
there isn't going to be follow-through. Uh, you probably know people like that. Maybe you work with people, hopefully not, but maybe you've worked with people that, that they'd say, oh, yeah, I'll get that done, or, yeah, I'll do that, or, or yeah, I'll get right back to you, and, you know, and then it never happens, right? You know, and, and it's just frustrating. It's like, oh, why don't you, well, why can't you just follow through? Why can't you just stand by what you said and do what you said you're going to do, right? You know, I mean, that, that can oftentimes be one of the most frustrating things, and, and, and the truth is, is, Oftentimes that can be the case in the Christian life. It's vital to follow through in life in general, but oh, how important it is to do that when it comes to our faith, when it comes to the scriptures, when it comes to what God's word has to say. James, last week we saw that many people are deceiving themselves. Why? Because while they would be a hearer of the word, while they would sit in a service like this one, while James's listeners and readers would read the scriptures and they would hear what James had to write to them, they wouldn't follow through on what was being given to them. And church, may we not deceive ourselves by not following through on the things that maybe we decide to make for the Lord, decisions that we make for the Lord. Today, though, as we wrap up this first chapter of James, he he leads us into the second point of deception. The first point of deception was was hearing but not doing. But today he talks about something that, that I think is very real even in our churches today. Uh, it is a deception that the first century young believers had gotten themselves into and, and, and many Christians, maybe even in our church, have gotten themselves into as well. You see, many of them had checked the boxes. They listened to God's word with open ears, with, with, a, with a closed mouth and with the walls torn down. They, they had received the seed of God's word on the good soil of their hearts. They'd even determined to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. But somewhere along the way, something, something happened. And it's the same danger that many in the church house will find themselves in today. Churches like Whitehall Baptist Church and churches all across Montana and across our nation, across the world. See, their faith in action had become nothing more than religion. We've all heard people talk about their religion before, right? I, I, I grew up in a, in a church where where it was often said, well, hey, give me some of that old-time religion. We've probably heard people say that. There's songs that sing that, say, oh, give me that old-time religion. And, and, and we've, we've heard that before. On many occasions, I've spoken with people, and they've shared with me that they hate religion. They'll say that. And you know what my response to them? Every time it's the same. Me too. I hate religion. That, that's, that's what they say. Religion. What is a, a series of works, a series of do's and don'ts that, that maybe you think that you're supposed to do to make God happy. And, and, and you just get exhausted trying to keep all of these things. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's just exhausting. It's exhausting. But oftentimes, what happens, and what was the case here in this first century church, these first century believers... Somewhere along the way, that relationship with Christ, those responses to His Word, they went from being things that they were doing out of a heart of love to becoming something that was purely out of duty. It became nothing more than religion. Now, it's interesting. Now, uh, stick with me, okay? We're going we're gonna to dive into the weeds here for just a moment. But it's important for us to get this so that we can understand what James is getting at here, okay? The word religion, the actual word religion, you can look it up. It's only actually found five times in our Bible. Five times. 
Uh, It's two of those times. It's in Galatians chapter number one. It's it's a Greek word that's translated religion. And and both of those times, uh, Paul is using it to describe Judaism. He he literally says the Jews' religion. Jews' religion is is one Greek word. It literally means Judaism. So those are two of the five times that it's used. The other three times, it's a different Greek word. A different Greek word from the word that, that Paul used in, in Galatians. The other three times, it's, it's the Greek word, threskia. Threskia. You say, well, okay, that's, that's great. Okay, the, the word threskia, it's, it's found actually four times in the Bible. Three of those times, it's translated as religion. The fourth, times, the fourth time it is used when Paul is talking about idolatrous worship of angels in, in Colossians 2.18. I know, you may be saying, God, what, what is this about? I think this is, this is interesting, okay? In Colossians 2, verse number 18, Paul warns them, says, Let no man beguile you of your reward and of voluntary humility. And he says this, in worshiping of of angels, okay? The, the word worshiping there is the same word that's translated as religion in, in three other places in the scriptures. Paul's other use of that word, uh, when Paul uses it again, is in Acts 26, verse number 5. He says this, which knew me not from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion... I lived a Pharisee, okay? He's discussing the religion of being a Pharisee. So those are two of the four times. Once it's worshiping angels. The second time, Paul's talking about his religion as a Pharisee. The the other two times are found in the verses that are before us this morning. Look there again at at James chapter number 1, verse number 26. If any man among you seem to be religious, that's a different word that's only found one time in the scriptures. And he says this, bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion, there it is, is vain. Verse number 27, he goes on and says, but pure religion. And undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows. And their affliction to keep himself unspotted from the world. Four times in the scripture this word is used. And the funny thing about it is three of those four times, honestly, it's in a negative sense. The fourth time he puts, has to put the, the descriptor before it that says, Hey, listen, let me tell you what pure religion is. Hey, listen, I don't think God was a big fan of religion either, okay? I don't think he was up for a, for a set of rules and, and, and restrictions and, and just all these do's and don'ts. That's not what God was about either. Now, now why go through all this information? Why, why dive into the weeds here to understand that? Because it gives us a better idea of exactly about what James is going to be talking about in this passage. See, the, the word that we discussed, theskia, is only found those four times. It has two meanings. Remember, religion... But the other meaning is very important. Worship. James is drawing a a link between our religion and our worship. Worship is one of those Christianese words, right? You know, it's one of those those Christianese words that, that we use oftentimes that's gotten twisted into all different kinds of meaning. This, this time of year, there are many who, who say, well, I can worship God on top of a mountain somewhere, right? You know, I, I, can, I can worship Him there. Uh, some say, well, I can, I can worship God whenever I'm out on a boat. Uh, we've talked about it before. Some people say, well, I can worship God on a golf course. And if you've ever golfed before, you know that's, there's, that's no, there's no truth to that at all. Okay, listen, uh, the, the golf course is the furthest place away from God of any place ever because it's the most frustrating place that you could ever go, okay? I mean, it just is what it is. No, uh, we, we, some people will say things like, hey, well, 
I can just worship God in my, my own bed, you know, and so I can just, there's some people this morning that listen, they think, oh, I just worship God today, and I'm just going to, you know, stay in bed today, you know, and, and uh, we, we, we call it by, by all different names, and, and you know what we do? We say this, we often say that we are going to worship the Lord in a church service, but could it be that just like might snicker at a person who says they're worshiping on a mountain or a boat or on the golf course. And we'd say, you know what, they're, they're just deceived what worship is. It might be that most, the most deceived people are the ones that sit in the church this morning. Because just because you say you're going to worship God doesn't mean you truly are. Just because we have a time and we put on the screen, oh listen, it's, it's, it's time to worship, it's, it's, it's our worship time. Just because we say that doesn't mean that we are actually from our hearts worshiping the Lord. In fact, the truth could be said and probably is the case in most churches and, and unfortunately maybe even in Whitehall Baptist Church, our worship times are nothing more than a time just to check a box. Oh, we sing another song, we sing another song, we have an offering, and then we sing another song, and then we another, sing another song, and then we have the, the church service, and that's the worship service. No, 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 listen, friend, we're not just checking boxes. But so many times, that's what we do when we come to church. James points to these first century Christians, and to us this morning, and he says it could be that you're just checking boxes, and you're deceiving yourself. It could be that your religion, your worship is is vain. Or as the Bible says in this verse, in verse number 26, another meaning for that word vain, worthless. Useless. God looks at our worship, our, our religion, our religious actions, and He says it's doing nothing. It's accomplishing nothing. Why? Because it's coming from a heart of just checking a box to appease our conscience, to make us feel good that we did it. But it has nothing to do with God. Today, as we open our Bibles, let's, let's also open our hearts and let the Lord, Lord through his writer, James, show us what, what real religion, t- today we're going to see what it is, what it is not. Because before we can understand what real religion is that we're going to see next week, we have to understand what it isn't. James says, first of all, what real religion is not, let me tell you, he says, let me make things real clear. Real religion is, is it isn't being in the right place. It isn't just being in the right place. Look again at verse number 26. He says this, if any man, don't miss this, among you. Any man among you, who, who's James writing to again? Remember, he's writing to the, 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 the believers that are scattered abroad, those first century believers scattered abroad, those Jewish believers, he's writing to them. These are people that have accepted Christ as their Savior. These are the people that knew what they were supposed to do, that were doing the things that they were supposed to do. These are the people that James is writing to. He says, listen, if there's anybody among you, James doesn't point to those that are out in the world. He doesn't point to the Christian that maybe he's been missing church for a little while. He points to the Christian in the congregation. He says it could be any person that's among you. 
See, see, real religion isn't just being in the right place. Now listen, I'm glad you're here this morning. Thanks for coming to church, okay? It makes it a lot easier to preach to whenever people actually show up, okay? It's just a blessing, I'm just telling you. Uh, when we did that whole COVID thing and, and we shut, shut things down for those, whatever it was, a month and a half or what, whatever we did, it, and, and, and I had to preach to a camera, that was rough. I'm just telling you, okay? It was hard uh, to stand in here and, and to, I would stand up here behind the pulpit and, and there'd be an empty room. Nobody'd be in here except for like one person running the sound in the back and Tara, I think, played the piano, you know? And uh, maybe, I don't know if Isaac, I think Isaac came too. But I I mean, like that, there was just nobody to preach to. It was, uh, yeah, I remember Isaac, he would show up and I think he'd lead music or something like that and then he'd leave before the message or something. That's, that's kind of, no, I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. But, uh, you know, that was, uh, that, that, it, was, it, was, it was hard. I'm glad that you came to church this morning. Listen, I'll, I'll give you a round of applause if nobody else will, okay? You're, you're off to a, to a good start. But, but listen, being in the right place isn't the end of the story. You understand that the, the prodigal son's brother, you remember the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son came to his father and said, Father, uh, give me the goods or the, por- the portion of the goods that, that belongeth to me. He looked at his dad and said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me the things that, that, I, should be, uh, that I should be given if you were, were dead and gone. Just go ahead and give it to me now. And he went off and the Bible says he wasted his life on riotous living and, 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 and he just... He spent all the Bible says and, and, and he became to a place that, it, that it, he was in want. He didn't have the things that he couldn't even feed his own, own, his own belly. He started eating with the pigs. I mean, the lowest of the low. And, and then he made his way back home finally. finally and then we find that wonderful picture. The father reaching his arms out there as, as the son comes. And ra- his father wrapping his arms around the, the son and, and bringing him back in. And the, and the forgiveness of the father. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Beautiful picture. But don't miss it. There was two sons. And the Bible tells us that when the father divided the portion of the inheritance that belonged to them, he gave it to both of them. Not just the one that left, the one that stayed home too. You know the sad part of that story is the, the brother that stayed home, the son that stayed home. He looked at the dad and he said, Dad, he said, you're over there making merry. You're rejoicing about your son that left and wasted everything. He said, I've stayed here, but you've never given me anything. You know, the sad part of that story is that chapter ends with the prodigal restored to the father and the son that stayed where he was supposed to be still with a broken relationship. See, being in the, in the right place doesn't make everything good. Uh, don't forget that Judas was one of the twelve that walked with the disciples of Christ. But according to the scriptures, listen, Judas never even accepted Christ as Savior and most likely died an unsaved man and bro- broke, he- uh, broke hell wide open. Just being in the right place is not all the answers. See, for some, coming to church is, is not out of pure religion or worship. No, it's to appease our, our conscience. Walking into a church building, listen, friend, is no more worship than walking into the grocery store. Or walking into your job. Now, you can worship God in, in those places, in all of those places. But your mere presence in them isn't the answer. And most churches this morning are full of people going through the motions, checking off a box, believing that when they walk out of the doors of a church that they've worshipped, when in reality they're just deceiving themselves. Listen, this is what Christianity is today. It's simply just going through motions and emotions 
and, and, and just saying words and, and singing songs and, and doing all these, these different things and standing up at the right time and sitting at the right time and, and okay, opening a Bible for a little bit and then closing it up and, and then walking out of the door and not changing anything. That's, that's normal Christianity today. And it's the reason that our world is lost and dying on its way to hell like it is. Because the light of the gospel isn't shining like it should be because... We're all just going through checking boxes, checking boxes. Listen, I, I, I mean, let's just be real. As a pastor, it's easy just to go through and check the boxes. And okay, I know I got to stand up and I got to pre- preach a message. I got to get a message together. And let's put it all together and just go through and just check the message, check the boxes so that everything's ready to go on Sunday. And everything looks just right. No, no, no. It's got to be real. And if we're not careful, we can be in the right place at the wrong heart. And James writes here and says, listen, that religion is just causing you to deceive your hearts. Now, can we get, can we get real? Make the, you know, if things aren't uncomfortable enough already, let's get, let's get a little more uncomfortable, okay? So, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's just step on a few more toes. Listen, just because you hang a sign in your house that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, doesn't mean that you are. So you can have a Bible on the coffee table that's covered in dust and you can pray before all of your meals and still not have a house of worship. Let's be honest, most of our houses resemble a house of war more than a house of worship. (laughs) It's more of a a battle zone than it is a, a worship zone. Just because you belong to church on Sunday doesn't mean that you're living pure religion have pure worship see it isn't just being in the right place looking the right part James says it's more than that yet so many times that's what we've led ourselves to believe before we understand what pure religion is we have to understand what it isn't it says if any man among you seem gives up this appearance of being religious and then he goes on and gives the second thing that it isn't. He said it isn't just words. It isn't just words. If any man among you seem to be religious, but listen, says, but bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is, is vain. Bridleth not his tongue. You know, the tongue is a revealer of the heart. In fact, James says it's, it's that which comes from the tongue that's so often the revealer of the worthless religion and the worthless worship that we have. He said so often that's what, what really shows the truth. Now, now James is going to come back around to, to this matter of the tongue, okay? So uh, the, the, in chapter number three, we're going we're gonna to park it there. I mean, he spends over half a chapter just really just digging into it and really hitting hard. Uh, in fact, th- this verse, verse number 26, this little phrase, listen, it's just an appetizer to what he's going to get around to in chapter number three and, and listen uh, the, he, he, he's just getting started here but what does he say he says listen if you can't bridle your tongue if you don't bridle your tongue he said listen it's going to reveal the real religion the real praise the real worship that is in your life now listen I don't know much about horses but I know that a bridle will help you control the horse 
The first time that I ever rode a horse in my entire life. I've told some different horse stories that always end in destruction, okay? But, but the first time that I ever rode a horse, I was 13 years old. And uh, our youth group decided they were going to take a, a youth activity, and we were going to go to West Virginia, and we were going to go whitewater rafting. And uh, that was going to be the highlight. We were going to go do whitewater rafting, and, and my youth pastor clearly was insane, okay? I mean, like, just crazy. It was like a 13-hour bus trip with a bunch of teenagers. It was like him and, like, two other adults taking so It was insane. And uh, we, we were going to go over to West Virginia, and we were going to go whitewater rafting, and then we were going to do a little horse ride, okay? Now, listen, between the two... Horse riding was way more terrifying than whitewater rafting, okay? We all thought that we had to sign the waivers and stuff for the, for the whitewater rafting. We should have done it for the horse riding, okay? Because this horse, I mean, with the place they took us to, I don't know if they just didn't do the research or what they thought it was going to be. They took us up in the mountains of West Virginia. And uh, I mean, and I'm just, I mean, like the mountains are different, but they were mountains nonetheless. And I mean, we're walking like on the side of cliffs. I mean, we're talking sheer cliffs straight down. I mean, like you fall off, you're going to die. I mean, like that's what we're riding on. And I've never ridden a horse before. I remember I'm, I'm riding on this horse, I'm, I'm on the saddle and things, and, and we're following the leader that's in front of us, and like, she, she's a little ways in front, I, I was like three or four horses back, and I mean, there was probably 20 of us on this trip, and, and, and we're riding our horse and stuff, and, and I mean, like, she's just not even paying attention, she's like laying back on her horse, like just, I mean, just, the horse is just, I, it's just going off doing its own thing, I mean, it's just walking, you know, and, and our horses are just following it and things, and we're going on this, and, and I'll never forget, we're walking down this hill, I mean, and it's, it's a pretty steep hill, and the horse, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're making your way down this hill and, and things. And, and again, I'm 13 years old. I've never ridden a horse before. I'm terrified. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm on this thing. I'm riding down this horse. I'll never forget it. I mean, it's like, I can picture my mind like it was yesterday. Tyler Reinhardt, okay? He was in my youth group, all right? Tyler's horse, he was behind me. I'll never forget it. Tyler was, was a little bit younger than I was. And uh, he's, he's on this horse behind me, big old horse. And, and his horse slipped. I mean, like, it was like a full-out slip, Okay? In fact, it slipped so much that the horse went over on its side, and it, it fell on, on Tyler on his leg. I'll never forget, Tyler let out this blood-curdling, like, scream whenever this happened, and it spooked my horse, all right? I'll never forget. This is why I'm traumatized, okay? And, uh, I mean, like, the, my horse takes off. I mean, like, it just, it takes off down the side of this mountain, and I'm just, like, holding on for dear life. Like, I have no idea what to do, you know? I mean, I'm just, I'm going down this hill. Some of you guys are horse people, and you're like, Kyle, you, you're, you're crazy, okay? You know? And, uh, I mean, I literally, I'm just holding on with, for dear life, and I remember, I mean, just taking off, and I mean, they're trying to catch up, but I'm just going, ah, you know, scared out of my mind. I'll never forget that day. I was so thankful for a bridle, because when we finally got, I find, somehow, by the grace of God, I managed to stay on this horse, it, the ground flattened out, and somehow along the way, I started pulling back on that horse, and, and the horse slowed down to a trot, and, and finally came to a stop, and I remember standing, I mean, being on that horse and thinking, I almost died, I mean, like, that was, that was the end right there, I mean, like, that's really what I thought, but I remember thinking to myself, I, I'm so thankful for these reins, I'm so thankful for this bridle, what, what's a bridle supposed to do? A bridle helps to control this horse. I mean, it helps to, to lead it, to direct it where it's supposed to go. Sometimes you put a bit, and we'll talk about that later, in a horse's mouth. What? To, to control the direction that you want your horse to go. In James here, he says that horse bridle, just like it helps to control the, the, the direction of the horse, he says some of you, you give the appearance of religion, you give the appearance of worship, but your tongue is betraying you. <laughs> He says, you don't, it's not bridled. 
And he said, your tongue, it's just, it's just flapping. And he says, you, 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 sound, you sing the song on, on Sunday morning. But he said, hey, listen, the real thing's coming out later. Because the tongue is a revealer of the heart. Remember that other time that that, that that same word was translated as religion was when Paul used it in Acts 26, verse number 5. Listen to what Paul said about it. He, he said this again in verse number, uh, verse number 5. He said, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify after the most strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. We, we remember the Pharisees well. We've spent a lot of time, in fact, when we went through Mark, we spent a ton of time with the Pharisees. I mean, what were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the people that had the appearance, that looked good, that, that walked around with their nose high in the air, right? I mean, like everything was just right. I mean, their shoelaces were tied just perfectly. They wore the nice clothes. They said the right words. They knew exactly what they were supposed to say. The Bible gives us the illustration, the story of the Pharisee who entered into the temple. And he said, oh, listen, I pray every day and I fast twice a day and, and I do all these things. And I just thank God that I'm not like, you know, this publican over here. I mean, like that, that's who they were. I mean, they promoted their goodness You know what their tongues did? They betrayed them. Why? How do we know? Because when Jesus came on the scene, what did they do? They condemned him. They crucified him. Jesus called him out. Remember in Matthew 23, verse number 27, Jesus said to them, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Fear like into whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within you are full of dead men's bones. And all uncleanness. Because Jesus could see the heart. And it it was the religious crowd that with their tongue attacked and and crucified him. Friend, this morning, if you're playing the religious game, if you're playing religion, can I just tell you, your tongue will eventually betray you. (laughs) It probably already does. In fact, I promise you it already does. Because if you're playing the game, what's on the inside will eventually come out. Matthew 12, verse number 34, Jesus said, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What's on the inside, he says, that is what is going to come out in Matthew 15, 8, he says, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips. He said, You sound good, but listen, your heart is far from me. It's all appearance. And your tongue will eventually reveal the condition of your heart, he says. We often excuse things as just a slip of the tongue. You, you've probably said it, I've said it before, we all say it. Oh, it's just a slip of, slip of the tongue. But, but the truth is, it's really just a seeping of the heart. It's really a, a seeping of, of the real condition of the heart. You say, Kyle, what are you talking about? I'm saying, listen, you can be a Christian whose heart is not right with God. Who's doing religious things in the name of religion, in the name of worship, in the name of appearance, so that it looks good to everybody else. But the truth is, what's really going on in here is not good. And you can do all the things from the wrong heart. And God says, eventually, it's going to seep out. And you can mark it down where it's going to come from. It's going to come from right here. See, you sing a beautiful song, but... 
but your gossip reveals the heart. Your teaching might be helpful, but your anger, angry outburst, it reveals your heart. The hateful words, the lying lips, they are a revealer of your true religion. And James says that it is vain. It's unusable. It's worthless. Galatians chapter number 5 is, is a powerful, powerful chapter. It's all about you know, the, the flesh and the spirit and walking in the spirit and not the flesh. And, and it talks about that. And he goes through and talks about the works of the flesh and gives all these different ones. And, and then he comes to verse number 22. And he says this, but the fruit of the spirit. And, and we know these verses are such wonderful verses. Again, these are probably verses that maybe even you got put, put on the sign in the wall uh, at your house that, uh, that we don't live by, right? You know, uh, but it's uh, James, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22. But the fruit of the spirit is what? It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Uh, uh, meekness, and then he says that temperance against such there is no law. Do you remember what temperance is? It's, it's interesting. You know what temperance is? Temperance is self control. It's, can, I, can I say this? It's, it's tongue control. How often do you let things slip? How often do things just, you know, just slide out? Ah, oh, it, just, it just slipped out. Word of gossip, uh, an angry comment, uh, you know, a tiny, you know, white lie, uh, 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 a little curse word here or there, a, a little, a little this, a little that. Some of us may be in this room, and, and you're thinking, "Well, I, I've learned to control my mouth pretty good, so I'm, I must be doing pretty good." Listen, I, 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 I was one of those Christians whenever I was a young person, and and let's, let's just be true. I mean, the, the whole life, right? You know, one of those, one of those people that was really good about, you know, about not saying the things that you thought up here, right? You know, I mean, like the things, like it would enter your mind and you're like, man, if I could only say what I really wanted to say, right? You know, and, uh, and, and, and you know, it was right there. And, and listen, there's many of us, maybe you're like me and you're like, man, well, at least, at least, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. You know, yeah, okay. You know, I slip up with my kids sometimes when I get angry and I, and I say something that, that, you know, maybe I, I, I should have, I have to be careful. I shouldn't have said it. Or, you know, at work, sometimes I get frustrated and something just, you know, it just slips out or, you know, things like that. No, no, but, but, but listen, in case we start to think that we're, we're doing okay, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 23, verse number 7, for he that thanketh it, for, 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 for as he thanketh in his heart, so is he. Oh, no. God says, listen, your, your very intentions are being judged. <laughs> you can mark it down. You can have outward religion looking good. But if your heart isn't right, it will, will eventually come out. In Isaiah chapter number five, the, the first five chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah wrote over and over again in, in eight different types. He says, woe unto them, or woe unto ye, or woe unto the wicked. What, what was he saying? He's saying, hey, caution to you. Hold, hold up. Hey, you need to listen to this. Hey, stop what you're doing. Woe unto you. And he's pointing the fingers at all these people because of the different things that they were doing and the things that they had, had involved themselves with. He's, woe unto you, woe unto you, and woe unto you. And he's pointing the finger at everybody. But we, but we remember for chapter number 6. And Isaiah sees the Lord clearly for the first time and, and maybe a long time. And his, his eyes, I mean, he sees the Lord in His holiness and in His glory and His perfection. And he sees God. And you remember what he says in verse number 5? He says this, Then said I, woe is me. For I am undone. But listen to what he says. This is so interesting. 
Because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, because I am a, of a man, I am a, I'm a man of an unclean heart. He doesn't say that. No, no, no. What does he say? He says, I am a man of an unclean lips. Isn't that amazing? It's almost like he's saying, listen, the things that are coming out of my mouth are really showing who I really am. You know what's amazing? Just two verses later in verse number seven, the, the Bible says this, that the, the, the seraphim goes and it grabs the tongue from off the altar, it flies over to Isaiah and it says this, and he laid it upon my, not my heart, what did he lay? Laid it upon my mouth. And lo, this had touched my lips. Since thy iniquity is taken away, thy sin perched. See, It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so often, it is our tongue that betrays us and demonstrates who we really are inside. A clean heart will always be revealed in a cleansed mouth. I never had to bite down on a bar of soap whenever I was a kid. I was careful, okay? I was careful, and I was careful to never get caught, okay? That's, that's what I was careful about, okay? I was careful never to get caught. But I remember one time in particular when my brother and I were out playing, and he was just a little boy. I mean, I, we, we couldn't have been more than, I, I was probably, I don't know, six or seven years old, which would have made him, I, maybe I was a little bit older, eight years old. So he couldn't have been much older than four or five years old. But I remember we were down in the woods, and we were playing together, and I'll never forget when my brother said a curse word. I mean, it just, I don't even know where it came, but it, but it, but it came out. Now, the context and everything, it didn't even make sense, but it just, he just said it. And I remember, like, I was the older brother, the compassionate, loving, caring older brother, and so naturally, I ran as fast as I could up the hill. I mean, just as fast as I could and ran to mom. I said, mom, you're never going to believe what Jared said. He said this, and I, I told her, and, and oh man, she brought him in and said, Jared, did you say this? He said, yeah. And uh, she said, do you know what it means? He said, no. And she said, if you ever say that again, you're going to get in big trouble. Okay. Like, man. So, anyway, so we went back down the hill and we're playing again. And I mean, it had to have been five, ten minutes later. He did it again. He said it again. And I mean, it was like, oh, yes. And so I remember, I mean, I booked it up that hill as fast as I could. I got up there and I told him, he said it again. Oh, yeah. And uh, they brought him in. I remember they set Jared down on that, on the toilet seat in the bathroom. I remember he sat down there and they took that bar of soap out. And I said, all right, Jared, bite that. I want to see teeth marks. And I remember, I mean, the joy that filled my life and my heart in that moment as I watched my brother bit down on that bar of soap. You can imagine the disappointment that I had and my parents had when he said he liked the way it tasted. And what a weirdo, (laughs) right? I'll never forget. They'll probably get in trouble for for me saying this, but I'll never forget. They say, well, yeah, that tastes good. They went over and they grabbed the liquid soap and they put some in their hand. They said, all right, now you got to lick it, okay? And uh, that's the reason he is the way he is today. But, uh, you know, I mean, like that was, I'll never forget that. I mean, what were they doing? Hey, you got a dirty mouth? Well, we're going to clean it out for you. Oh, we're going to take care of that. You're going to remember this. You're not going to talk like that. You know, James says you can have the appearance of religion or worship. But just because you're in the right place, might be saying the right words, it doesn't make it real. 
The next week, we'll find out what real religion is. Okay, we, we will. We'll, we'll get around to it. But, but real religion, real worship isn't being in the right place, saying the right things all the time. And maybe you've fallen into the trap of believing that that's what it is. Can I challenge you from the words of James? You've deceived yourself. You've deceived yourself. A couple of years back, whenever I first got into to bow hunting. I mean, this, that, this is the time. Like, listen, this is my favorite time of the year. You say, is it because of football season? No, it's because it's, it's elk hunting, bow season. Listen, I mean, some of you, you, you understand. Some of you, you, you've rifle hunted for elk before, and that's been fun, and you've enjoyed it. But when you, when you bow hunt for elk, it's just like it's a whole new world opens to you, and it's glorious, and it's wonderful, and uh, it's, it's a sweet thing, but mainly because it's not like negative 20 degrees outside, and, and there's snow, and you got to wear 15 layers of clothes. That's, my, that's the reason I like it, really. But uh, I remember one of the first times that I, that I went hunting, and I, and I went up there, and I, I, was, I was by myself, and I remember I, I, was, I was up on top of this, this mountain about halfway up, and, and uh, I remember I was up there, and I just, I just put out this, this cow call. I just made, this, uh, made, the, made a cow call with the elk, and, and, uh, and all of a sudden, it responded back to me. I'm like, all right, okay. It's exciting. You know, I mean, like, nothing, nothing ever responds to me. This is exciting. And, and so, you know, I waited a little bit, and I did it again, and man, right away, it called back to me. I'm like, all right, bring it on. And, and it was coming. And for probably the next hour, maybe, hour and a half even, I mean, like, I'm sitting there, I'm calling, and it's calling back, and wait a little bit, and, and it was just a little sound, and it's coming, and it's getting closer, and it's going, I'm like, this is awesome, this is incredible, I mean, like, I'm ready, my bow is knocked, I mean, I'm ready to go, I'm so excited for this, for this elk to come, and all of a sudden, up over that ridge, I see it, this man in camo, <laughs> And I remember I was kind of behind this rock, and, and I just kind of like ducked down a little bit lower. I didn't want him to see me, and he came up, and, and he's just calling. He's looking all over the place, standing up on top of this knob, and I'm like, well, there's no more elk in this area. I mean, like, yeah. knock it down. And I mean, he's up there calling. He never saw me, never saw me. And finally, he turned around and walked back down the hill, and, and, and he left. I mean, like, finally, he headed out, you know, after, after a little. I never let him see me, okay? I, I hid there. I was like, I, I'm so embarrassed. I'm not going to share this embarrassment with him. You know, it's just, this is awful, right? You know, terrible, terrible moment. Listen, I was in the right place, making the right sounds, and only I knew that I wasn't an elk, okay? Listen, I was the, the only one. And listen, no matter how much I, I could have told myself that I was an elk, I still wasn't, you know? I mean, like, whenever you're out there, you're like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, like, I, I just got to... I gotta be an elk, you know? I mean, it's just like, I'm gonna be one, right? You know, and then I'm gonna make that sound, and it's gonna be like, it's perfect. And, and if you've ever been elk hunting during bow season, and, and you hear an elk bugle or, or cow call or something like that, you realize, man, they don't sound like an elk very much, you know? I mean, like, I, I sound more like an elk than an actual elk sounds like one, right? You know? And I mean, that's just the way that, that it is. But listen, no matter how much uh, I, I, I sound, and no matter how much I bugled, no matter how much, it, it, you know, I was in the right place, listen, I wasn't an elk. And friend, before you can learn what real religion is, real worship is, you have to stop lying to yourself. Because you can fool everyone else. You can even try to deceive yourself, but God knows who is real. God knows what is real. And maybe you walked in today and you've checked all the Christianity boxes but it's just not real for you.
Why don't today you ask God to make it real? Stop playing games. Set aside that mask of religion. Discover what it means to be real. Ask God to clean that slate. Some of you may need to ask God to take that holy bar of soap and clean your mouth. (laughs) To get rid of the gossip, the anger, the lying, the out of control that comes out of it and submit it to God's control. Because, friend, if we're going to discover what real religion is, what real worship is, we have to get rid of the fake stuff first. Stop with the fake worship. And don't deceive yourself. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 would be a great prayer to pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Friend, this morning, can I challenge each and every one of us? Let's not play the game. Let's not, let's not have this vain religion. But let's get real. Real religion. Real worship that honors and pleases God. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed as we finish our service this morning. This morning, I hope that as you listen and as the Word of God was preached, that the Holy Spirit was able to speak to, you, to your heart, that it found good soil like we talked about last week, and, and you were able to, to listen, and, and you received God's Word, and you're willing to do something with it. But can I challenge us this morning? Let's be real. Let's not just check a box. Let's not just play the Christianity game. Oh, you can make all the right sounds. You can be in all the right places and still still not be the real deal. The real deal at home. The real deal at work. The real deal at church. Let's be real. Oh, let's not be Christian pretenders. Let's be the real thing. With heads bowed and with eyes closed this morning, we have a time of invitation. I hope that you'll spend time just talking to the Lord right where you're seated, where you can come to the altar, whatever you want to do, but I hope that you respond to the Lord this morning. As the music plays, you respond to Him.